Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunts Backcountry Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you today, man? Doing good. A little bit uh, sore. Some kind of officially kicked off death hike training and also Boise got a ton of snow. So I decided to slap on the old snowshoes and got some miles in this weekend. And those were, uh, I had texted you like, man, these, uh, I forgot how hard these things are. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a legit, uh, a, you're just, uh, it, that's actually to incorporate that in my training. Just when I go for hikes, strap on some ankle weights. Cause I think a big part of that is just lifting the snowshoe up every time, you know, uh, you're just hitting muscles that you don't hit normally when hiking. But, uh, yeah, I did that when we had the snowshoe death hike in Frank church, obviously, uh, being in Missouri didn't have a bunch of snow to train with. And mm-hmm. we did get on snowshoes some like when we were out for show season and stuff, but I definitely did some workouts with ankle weights just because, as you said, you're picking up a snowshoe. It gets obviously packed with some extra weight of some snow at times, and it totally changes the dynamics of how you're lifting your leg and working that hip flexor. But it was really effective, actually. Hmm. I think it helped me a ton for that snowshoe hike in particular. Nice. But snowshoes in the in the Grand Canyon shouldn't, shouldn't be a, a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think some micro spikes potentially. Yes. The tops could be frozen, but that's about it. Yeah. It's going to be cool to see that plan come together. Uh, super excited for it. Like you, I'm just like mapping out training and logistics yeah. and footwear and thinking through, but it's going to come quick. That's for sure. Yeah. We're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, between now and the death hike, which is going to be early April, it's kind of show season in January and February. Uh, a few things there. One is I just went to the ATA show last week. We can talk about that. And then we're leaving later this week to go to Sheep Show and Shot Show. And then later in February, there's the Hunt Expo in the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show. So a lot going on. Uh, we'll hit all those at least somewhat briefly. But the ATA show I went to, as I mentioned last week, it was in St. Louis. Uh, so just about an hour away from where I'm at. And it's like, heck, it's in town. Let's go. Yeah, Ar- Archery Trade Association. Yeah. yeah, Archery Trade Association. So it is a private show. You're supposed to be part of that association, a dealer, manufacturer, etc. It's not a, a open public show. I went to it for years and years and years in a row. Um, I used to work it for Elite Archery, like when I was doing pro staff with them and attended as media and some other things. But it's been five-ish years, maybe, I think, since I've been. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was pretty wild to see. I mean, it's honestly kind of a shell of the show that it used to be. A lot of the big bow manufacturers don't show up. Uh, Hoyt and Matthews and... Uh, there's a lot of people you would assume like, oh, this is the archery event of the year and they're just not there. And there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. Um, you know, things changed with COVID, things changed with release cycles of bows, etc. cetera. Uh, but it was just interesting not having been there for, call it five years, uh, to see how that show has evolved and actually shrunk a little bit. But it was cool to, to be there. And one thing I like with those shows is uh, there's always... A, new products like new companies and some of these new companies are literally truly just getting started and so i i enjoy yes like go see the big booths but also like hey what the heck can i find i've never heard of um and i'll mention a few of those i will say though one thing that stuck out was broadheads 
holy cow, there is so many stinking broadheads on the market, which I was aware of, <laughs> but more and more added every year. And it was it was interesting to go to talk with all these broadhead companies and designers and you know everybody has an idea of the perfect broadhead and sometimes those ideas conflict with the guy you just talked to who said something the opposite uh but yeah wild man i think i was talking with um one of the companies an ata show does awards for product categories you know like best new broadhead mm -hmm. at the show and if I'm you pay for it if you pay for it, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there was 150 broadheads entered in the category. Oh my gosh. Just at the show. Which is insane. Was there a That's single one anyway. that you saw that was intriguing? Or are they, are they all just like uh, ridiculous, stupid? Yeah, I mean, there was... I would put it as there are broadheads that aren't doing much different than something that's out there, but they're claiming that it's different or they have like a, a minute change that says it's going to have drastic effects. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are just some very out of the box broadheads. Um, so some, you know, especially the newer companies um, I'd seen some, I like decade plus ago, for example, I don't even remember the name of the broadhead, but it was a replaceable blade broadhead and the replaceable blades were curved right so the whole idea mm. was we're going to increase arrow spin because the blades are curved it's going to help the arrow spin even further and then upon impact it's going to you know spin and churn and cause damage etc uh, which in reality i think creates a lot of drag and may decrease penetration but mm. um i i don't I hadn't seen that recently, but there was another new broadhead company that was doing it not as a replaceable blade, but more of a fixed two blade. But they had it with a spin profile and you can get a right spin or left spin. And so it was interesting for me to see that kind of come back around. Um, yeah, and then some of the um, some of the bigger names, you know, just had like some updates and things like that. But yeah, lots of ideas for sure. It'll be interesting. Annihilator released a new broadhead that is definitely very different um you know the different from their previous design which was unique and then this brand new one i forget the name of it uh, but they actually won best broadhead at the ata show um for whatever that's worth i don't think it's releasing though till next summer so they have the design they have prototypes but i don't think it's in production yet um so that'd be one to check out and like keep an eye on and, and see what it does this year um and it was definitely very unique as well in terms of bows again a lot of the big bow companies aren't there but i was unaware of the more recent bows from expedition archery they have mm -hmm. uh, their x light line and i think they came out with two models in that line in 2023 and then they have two more uh, additions kind of to that line for 2024 um, and they're building them not with aluminum or carbon but what they call magnite which i'm pretty dang sure is just magnesium of some form uh, kind of like my XLR chassis is going to be magnesium. So it is a metal, but it's going to be lighter than aluminum, but with other properties that make it stronger, better, etc. cetera. Uh, all the marketing speak. But I will say it was impressively light to pick up a metal bow that you would think would be aluminum. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just crazy, crazy light um, and shot really well as well. I mean, it's a, 
it's a um kind of like stiff but smooth up front like it loads pretty quick in the front but does still maintain to be very smooth um and then you know all the typical things you hear like oh so dead in the hand oh so quiet <laughs> not much vibration uh but no truly is a really good shooting bow and then i was also interested to learn i didn't realize that they were doing this but you can order a bow from expedition direct they do have dealers but they don't have a huge dealer network And you can not only order a bow direct, but when you do their custom bow builder and you can choose colors and options and et cetera, that includes accessories. So like you could order a bow from Expedition and say, I want all these bow options, but I also want this rest. I want this site, et cetera. And they have partnerships to add all that stuff for you, pre-install it and fully set it up and tune it and paper tune hmm. it and get it straight to your door. Um, Which is the first bow company I'm aware of that's doing that. So, yeah, um, yeah, that was interesting to hear for sure. Well, let's see a couple little small things. And again, I, uh, I <laughs> find it fun to look at new products and think, I don't know if that's like going to be really, really great. Like it's one of those things I have to use it. Right. Um, but I was walking by a booth and I saw Trent Fisher's face on a TV, <laughs> which I'm like, what the heck is he doing here? Who is this? And there's this company called wild tech and they have a product called game grip. Are you aware of this, Steve? No, apparently Trent and uh, those guys used it this past year. They just launched in the summer of 2023, but it is a package kind of looks like a, um, a longer, wider, but still very thin package of, wet wipes i guess but they're not wet wipes they're individual sheets there's 10 sheets in a package and they have a label you peel away and then it's a sticky tacky adhesive sheet with a food grade adhesive super tacky do you know what they're for no <laughs> no they're for getting hair off your meat so you basically uh like if you're you know you're skinning a game you're quartering an elk you're in the field before you were to put it in your game bag you essentially have this sheet that's probably like four inches wide and eight to ten inches long and hmm. you can like stick this thing all over your quarter and this tacky adhesive picks up all the hair off your meat and it's like a the only way i knew how to put it because i was telling my wife about it when i got home i was like it's kind of like a lint roller for your meat Yeah, but it's a, it's a sheet and it's a pack of 10 and the whole pack of 10 weighed like two and a half ounces, I think. And I was like, huh, like we've all been there, right? Like too much yeah. hair on the meat or you're picking it off or whatever. Um, I like, yeah, I mean, I definitely do my best to keep the meat as clean as possible. And sometimes it's, uh, that's an impossible task, you know, depending on the conditions and where the animal died and all that stuff. But that's a cool 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 idea yeah so they um they have a website and the product is out i can leave a link to it in the show description but it was fun to talk with those guys and hear the backstory and again it's not just a random sticker it was incredibly tacky and they did a lot of work and got things approved like with the fda to make sure that you know all their compounds and everything else were food safe and etc so another one really small uh i was like walking through the aisle And this gentleman stopped me. He was like, hey, what do you do for a wind checker? 
And I started talking with him, and he was an older gentleman, and him and his son, and then their teenager son, so kind of like three generations of guys, they're coming, they, they're done, but they don't have the product fully launched yet, but they had them there. Um, these really small wind checkers. And it was cool to see, Steve, they had, they had this case in it with, I think going back, five plus years, these different configurations, shapes, sizes, et cetera, of wind checker containers that they've tried, um, which it's like, okay, wind checker is pretty basic, right? But I started talking with them and using it and it's actually pretty cool. So they have these smaller wind checkers. They're not refillable, but they also, not only the, the wind checker itself, the container, but the powder within is all custom. And no matter what orientation you use this thing in, it just pushed like the perfect amount of wind checker out. And it was a really fine powder and it was never clumpy. You could hold it up, you could hold it down, you could hold it sideways, you could push it hard or push it soft. And it seemed like no matter what, that release of the wind checker powder was just like really consistent um, and really did work great. And then they're really small. And so where this gets more unique is they also come with a little like mount basically. And so they had them like you can mount it directly on your bow and this thing is so easy to operate. You can just basically push it with one finger. So they had them mounted on your bow. The gentleman had one mounted on the build of his hat. Uh, you had it mounted on like your bino harness. So you can take it out and use it more traditionally like in your hand and squeeze it. But you could have it mounted like kind of in endless places and just kind of push it with your finger. Um, and it was a cool little wind checker. Like as much as I was like, ah, oh, it's just a wind checker. You can't like revolutionize a wind checker. They're onto something. It was pretty cool. And they're um, really small. They're not refillable. So it is kind of like single use in a way when the powder's out, the powder's out. But they do sell them in a pack. They were small. They were light. They were cheap. So even if you had to pack a few of them on a backpack hunt, uh, wouldn't be the end of the world either. But they were pretty interesting. Uh, there was the guys from Nilchai. I'll leave a link to that one as well. Um, and then just other, uh, one other one, like again, super small company, couple, owned by a couple of guys, younger guys, and really simple product. Not something I would envision packing on a backpack hunt by any means, but I definitely see a place for it. And it was a really simple bow mount for your phone, which... On the premise, at first, I personally don't like the idea of because I'm just like, ah, oh, more complexity, more things, what have you. But the mount was super streamlined. The The phone attaches with a, like basically a magnet to it. So you don't have to have your phone on there. You don't have to fumble. It's no like um, crazy retention device you have to operate. Like the phone just magnets to it with, um, with a little plate and then pops right off if you don't want to use it. But they're mounting it right above your stabilizer. Um, and then it's used to film the shot. But what one thing that's cool to me is they didn't really develop this to like, oh, film your hunts, you know, like get Insta-famous. They really developed it from if you can have your shot filmed, you're going to be able to make better decisions as a bow hunter about game recovery, like being able to see the shot again, be able to replay that shot again, be able to assess things. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, you can get some cool footage as well. Um, And then they showed some really cool footage. There's a free app that you can use on your phone. This is not their app, but just a free app that will allow you to record both cameras at the same time. So with just having your phone in their little slick little mount, you get the perspective of you, the shooter, and the perspective of like the animal and what you're seeing. And they had some really, really cool footage. So (laughs) again, not something I would like always want to pack, but man, if I was whitetail hunting or even like antelope hunting, especially out of a blind, uh, you know, potentially doing some elk deer stuff. Um, it was cool. And made in USA, really, really nice guys, really quick, like simple, no fuss system. So that was a painted arrow outdoors. And again, I'll leave a link if people want to check that out, but yeah, just a few of the wander around, see small companies, new people doing new things with new ideas. It was uh, it was cool. And then obviously, every bow sight, every bow rest, every arrow, every vein, every fletching, every everything was there. There's, I mean, could talk for hours and spent all day walking around, but those are uh, a few of the little things that were worth checking out. Next up, Steve, where we, uh, where we headed later this week? Uh, down to Sheep Show Friday morning. Fly, fly down there, fly down to Reno. So we had a booth there last year. And with just kind of schedules and everything this year, we decided not to do a booth, but we're going to just fly down. So fly down Friday, we'll be there. Sheep show Friday night, Saturday. And then um, it'd be one casino town to another. Fly right to Vegas on Sunday and, and got shot show Monday, Tuesday and fly home Wednesday. Um, so yeah, we'll be, we'll be down to Sheep if you see us, say hi. And then. We'll also be at SHOT Show, so same deal. If you see us, say hi. Yeah. And then February is where we get into kind of traditionally what's been EXO, our show season actually, exhibit, have a booth, see all of you guys. Um, and for the last, I don't know how many years, Steve, we've done in February, Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City, and then the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show up in Portland. And we've done both those shows. Sometimes they're back-to-back sometimes there's a small gap in between but this year they're actually completely overlapped and share the same dates which is unfortunate and uh yeah we kicked around trying to be in both places at once steve but uh logistically that's just not going to work so what's the plan yeah we're yeah we're all going to hunt expo it's you know um by well by far and away the best consumer show i've ever been to it's in uh, definitely something we were going to skip out on. Um, and then Portland, we'll just have a couple packs and some of our kind of partner slash friends booths there. And, um, so if, if you are in the area and you go into the Portland show, you'll at least be able to see a couple packs. But, uh, as far as EXO, we'll just be down at Hunt Expo. Um, and that's a, such a great show. Like I highly encourage if you've ever had any interest in going down to Hunt Expo, do it. It's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, agreed. It's a great show. Uh, and more to come on that Portland uh, deal of where packs are going to be and what you can see, even though we won't be there with Booth. So um, as always, the best way, like in addition to the podcast, to make sure you are up to date on all things EXO, not just in terms of like this case of like us and what we do, but even new content and other stuff that doesn't hit the podcast is just make sure you receive our email um, and you can sign up for that at exomountaingear.com forward slash newsletter. 
um, which we can leave a link to as well. But yeah, just sign up for that if you want to see everything going on and much more to come about those shows, the dates, where to get tickets, our booth, etc. Speaking of new content, Steve, um, we had someone write in and provide some feedback and ask a question. They said, I love the new podcast series with the state game and fish departments. I heard you mention some of the states that would be coming on for future episodes, but you did not mention Colorado. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in hunting Colorado. Will they be a part of this series? The short answer is no, (laughs) not yet. Um, We've tried to coordinate with Colorado and it has not gone anywhere. Um, Not only have I kind of reached out to some folks, but I've had some folks in Colorado reach out to some folks. Um, and as of yet, we just either haven't gotten a hold of the right person or uh, gotten anything scheduled or responded to that says we are going to be scheduled. So I don't know that they're going to be part of the series. I will follow up and try, but we confirmed at this point, we just released the Wyoming episode last week. We have Arizona coming this Wednesday. We have New Mexico coming the following week. We have Idaho coming, we have Montana coming, and I think that may be it for what is currently confirmed. So those are the states that are uh, either already recorded and yet to be released or, you know, will be recorded and released over the next month, month and a half or so. But um, it is uh, just to provide context to that, guys, the... (laughs) The, the the departments often do have protocols for speaking publicly, to put it uh, simply, I guess. And so there are times where the questions that you guys asked and things like that, because we've collected listener questions for each of these states, I basically have to submit those and then they have to not only get approved, but one thing to keep in mind with this series is the person doing the podcast with us has a role in the department, but they are not in charge of everything. Meaning if we start to talk about applications and licensing and certain rules or regulations, you know, there's a that that may cover several people's jobs within the state. And then we could start talking about like updates on species like mule deer versus elk versus whatever. And that's someone else's total department or job. So we're pre-submitting the questions in part to so that the states know what we want to talk about, but also because there's a lot of work where, like New Mexico, for example, is the one coming out this week. I spoke with Colleen. She's fantastic, super knowledgeable. But she took your questions and like went to, okay, this question, this is the best expert in the department, whether it's a biologist or some other um, you know, department personnel that can get the best answer. And so she's getting all the information to be able to share with you guys. So it's a honestly a lot of work, both for them um, as well as for me on the back end. So I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. I'm really excited about how they're turning out. I'm curious for you with Idaho, your home state, <laughs> what are you most excited to get updates on? Because we're actually getting ready to record that one this week. It'll be released later, but uh, I'm putting you on the spot. Just the status of the state as a whole. There's some giant uh, like the non-resident tag issue um like what you know there's got to be 
some resolution or plan for that. Essentially, if I'm sure most people are aware that are listening to this podcast, but Idaho tags go on sale December 1st at like 10 a.m. And by like 10 a.m. and 43 seconds, all <laughs> 10,000 or 20,000 tags are sold out and it's a giant mess. You know, I don't think it's, this is a new thing. It's It's happened over the last, you know, progression of five to six years, kind of a, you know, crazy um, economic supply and demand type thing, right? Like where mm-hmm. you you create what's perceived to be a shortage and people freak out and buy the tags. And um, um, uh, yeah, I'm curious. They, they have to be working on something there, right? Like something that's, because there's a lot of holes in what they're doing right now. Essentially, it has turned into a draw. I like the fact that Idaho is so resistant to doing um making things controlled hunts and and whatnot uh where everything is lottery tags right that's one thing that's cool about the state but just in this current climate we're in where those things sell out it's there's a lot of inconveniences but but maybe it's also uh maybe it's a phase right maybe it's maybe in four or five years from now it'll go back to what it was where you could buy your tags i you know like in you could roll into the state in october and grab your non-resident tag and go hunt deer i don't see that happening but you know everything comes in waves right so maybe it's a possibility and then just looking at overall deer elk populations there's um yeah just kind of curious break down some units see what how things are doing um how things have they've installed that non-resident cap of 10 percent um of the tags go to the non-residents and i was divided out evenly between all the units i'm curious if they're seeing any results from that or you know, less as a, as a resident, I think I've told the story a couple of times. There's some spots I used to hunt that I went back to back in 2020 or 2020, 2020. And obviously that was COVID year, but it was, I mean, it was like a hundred to one non-resident trucks. And I don't know if that was, um, you know, something like go hunt saying, you know, like, oh, if you want to come archery hunt, here's the place to go. Right. Like those things do have a pretty significant impact. I don't know exactly the reason what that what was going on there, but it was pretty ridicu- ridiculous. Um, and so they installed that. I, I saw that, and I, I know lots of other hunters did. Were just massive non-resident um, uh, groups, right? Uh, you know, just we're all they're all in this one pocket, this one area, um, which tells you this they're all getting information from the same sources that's all saying to go to this area. Right. Um, so they installed that. I'm curious how that's helped, uh, you know, with hunters, ex- resident hunters experiences and also with, uh, game populations in those areas. They sent out a bear survey earlier this year. And I'm, that's actually what sparked this whole series. If I, if I remember right, I, mm-hmm. I, I clicked through it. I didn't answer any of the questions, but I just clicked through it to see what questions they were asking. And there was some stuff in there that was very, like, very interesting, um like what do they like you know it's so a wide range of questions but in my mind like okay what are they what are they trying to what answers are they trying to get from this like what are they trying to deduce from these questions uh what's interesting is i just saw last week they sent out a, a almost like an apology for that uh survey being sent out like we're sorry that the the questions you know were phrased how they were and things like that and so they're redoing that survey and I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. My email, um, maybe they've already sent it out. I'm not sure. But that was, that was really interesting that I got, you know, so that survey was like, what the, like, I just wanted to break down question by question. Like, what are you, 
seeing here that you're asking these questions. Um, mm-hmm. And then another, there's CWD starting to show up in Northern Idaho um, and trickling around the state. I'm curious what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. Get, a, get an update. Is yeah. there any examples of a state actually controlling it uh, in any meaningful way, or is it just going to blow up and be an issue? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. It'd be good to have That's that a, conversation. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still in a lot of guys are, you know, all fish and game agencies, some are ran very well, some are ran very poorly. I've always been in the camp that Idaho Fish and Game does a, as a whole, a very good job, right? Like everyone can pick apart like, oh, this, you know, I used to hunt deer in this unit and it's crap now and Fish and Game needs to change how they do everything. And I, you know, the guys I know that work there, they have everyone's best interests at heart, but sometimes you can't always, you know, you can't appease every single person every single situation it's a constant balancing act and i I think they do you know certainly i can be plenty critical of certain decisions but as a whole (laughs) they do a very good job like we have as a resident here i have amazing hunting opportunities and it's hard to argue argue with that right like i can hunt probably more months out of the year than not for whether it's bear and turkey and antelope and elk and deer and all the trophy species that you know, that we have better chance of getting tags than anybody else in any other state. Um, uh, so, the, I, yeah, I think they do a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been um, in putting this together and speaking with not only the individuals on the podcast, but some of the other people that I've coordinated with, with the Game and Fish departments. And the conversations I've had offline, not on the podcast, I've been very impressed and like encouraged by how eager the people I've interacted with are to like want to be helpful, to want to listen to hunters, to to want to provide great hunting opportunities. Um, and it's it's just yeah, it's hard to balance everyone's perspectives when they get input one, but then two is when you really start digging into how rules and regulations are changed, it's not a simple process. Like things, you know, it's different straits are structured differently, but there's certain times where like in Wyoming, we talked a little bit about this. There's like the game and fish department, there's the commission, and then there's legislature. Mm-hmm. And those three parts of really what of what affect hunters in terms of rules and regulations, et cetera, operate differently, have limited scopes, limited power, et cetera. And to, to make big changes is a big process to put it bluntly. So <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's just interesting to learn about, but I will say I've been more encouraged than ever. And this from my perception is just not rhetoric. Like every single time I'm having these conversations, whether it's on the podcast or off of it, they're really expressing like hunter input matters, both from residents yeah. and non-residents. And so I just, you know, it, it's always so much easier to complain than it is to try and be constructive. Mm-hmm. And so I just hope that as hunters, we spend more time providing real, genuine, valid feedback direct to the source than we do like complaining on social media or a forum or whatever, right? Um, so if you want to talk, talk, but also do something, I guess is my point. Um, anyway, different, different uh, rabbit hole there. Mm. 
We, Steve, I mentioned last week, optics are a recurring topic and something we get a lot of questions about. Water filtration, water storage is another one. And we've talked a lot about it in different ways. I don't know that we've answered this question this directly, though. We've talked about what we do, how that's changed, even over the last couple of years. But I don't know that we specifically addressed this question. This guy said, you guys seem to love your squeeze type water filters. Have you ever heard of the platypus gravity system? It requires no work and quote unquote, he says, filters the water for you. He has that in quotes. While you are glassing, hanging out at camp or just whatever. Why would you want to work and use a squeeze style filter when you can just hang a gravity bag and let the work happen for you? That's his question. All these filters work as gravity filters. You don't have to squeeze them. Um, they might flow at slightly different rates, but yeah, if you've, you've got your dirty bag and you've got the time to, I used to do this all the time when I was running the Sawyer system with the quick attach right into my water bladder. Uh, yeah, you have your dirty bladder and you're just at camp. I would, I, I, it didn't come with a hook. I think I just like duct taped one, one on and yeah, I was setting up the tent and cooking meals or whatever. I'd just hang the dirty bag up in a tree and it'd flow right on my water bladder. Um, so they, they all work just cause it says it's, a squeeze versus a gravity it's the exact same thing going on um so a you do have that option but then more recently here uh, with k4 development we switched to, you know we made the nalgene holder and then switched to that and it's a little trickier to do that and also the filters just flow so stinking easy that it's not work at all <laughs> it's, it takes like you know you i've got that hydropack seeker and then I still, for the most part this year, well, no, I guess I, I did use the, is the Hydropax, right? Yeah. The Hydropax 42 yeah, their, millimeter. Their, their filter, their filter. Um, yeah. So this year I use that. It doesn't flow quite as good as the Cated and Be Free, but it's still plenty fine. And it, it's, you know, it's like two liters a minute. I mean, you fill up an algae in 30 seconds with minimal effort, um, the way this guy describes it does remind me of some of the soy. Like if you have a Sawyer filter, their minis were just junk in, as, as in regards to flow rate and clogging. You took it like it was fine for the first day, but then, you know, if you weren't getting soup or clean water, it would clog pretty quick. And yeah, that's a pain in the ass. I mean, you're, when your hands are cold and you're squeezing that bag, but honestly with these, the newer filters, and then uh, we've talked about plenty. They're, just treat them as a consumable good, right? Like we're all, not all, but, you know, backpacking meals are 10, 15 bucks, you know, per night nowadays. These filters are $29 and, you know, I'll go through over the course of a year, probably three filters. Um, but to me, it's worth the, um, we, well, I, I, don't, I guess for me, I get, we sell that stuff through SNS Archery. So I get it obviously <laughs> much cheaper than the guy going to, Amazon or REI to buy it or whatever. But uh, so it's easier for me to say this, but still, uh, you know, you could get by with just doing a couple a year and, and cleaning them, back flushing them helps a little bit. It helps restore some of that. Be prudent on getting when you're getting your from your water source that you get it as clean as possible. Um, <laughs> my boy, Joey, when I took a mail cutting this year, uh, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, but we had, we, he was thirsty and we stopped and I was, uh, uh, 
he never had like filtered water, you know, out of a mountain little stream before. And we stopped and uh, filtered the water. And you know, I was tight. I was like, oh, this is mountain water, bud. This is the best water you can possibly get. You know, and literally like a week ago, he's like, dad, when do we go get some more of that mountain water? Uh, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that was so good. Uh, dude, I was dying. It made me really look forward to taking an elk hunt again this year. Yeah. Um, off topic there, but talking about this just reminded me of it. Yeah, um, that's cute. So yeah, little tips and tricks there. I do have, um, I have, oh, I'm pretty sure, is it Cadenin or Platypus? I have a, te- like a 10 liter camp filter bag that mm. I think is from Cadenin. I think the one you have is, I've used the large Platypus yeah. one as well. Okay. Um, and it is fantastic. I do a, a fishing float trip every year as a 10 liter bag. We park the boats, set up camp for the night. I go scoop up that thing, hang it in a tree. And uh, it's awesome for that type of setup. And and if someone's doing like a base camp where they, you know, they hike in three, four or five miles, they've got a stream nearby, they fill that up and and it's fantastic. But then you're still going to want to, you know, have that filter with you all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'd have to take it down or just pack a second one. I mean, it's just crazy. Those things are like, I think the whole hydro pack and filter is like, but under three ounces or right there. I mean, it's, it's crazy what that's a filter used to a light one was 16 ounces 10 years ago now. And that wasn't even with your extra bladder bag and what these things are. Yeah. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. For me, it's um, again, I've used gravity filters. I use them more in a, stationary setting rather than like on the go hunting as much um i've just especially with how to your point steve like how good the current squeeze filters are how little work they are how reliable they are by the time i would take a gravity bag with a filter attached find a tree find the right setup find a place to set the receiving water container down or whatever like by basically by the time i would set up a gravity system i'd be done just squeezing the filter right on yeah. like on the go hunting um in base camp or whatever they make a ton of sense so yeah they're just squeezing is like more a, work in my opinion like a bigger topic of things you could talk about of like the lengths people go to avoid like a little bit of discomfort you know like yeah. or work right like you you just do the do the work and it gets done in like 30 seconds versus uh spend five minutes trying to set something up to avoid That's having to automated. do that work yeah yeah um and sometimes it makes sense but for the most part like uh, and you could take this into many aspects of your own life like just do the work mm-hmm. and move on to the next thing guys if you got any questions for us we got uh more i want to get to we'll have to save those for the next episode because of time but if you have a question for us or a follow-up just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'd love to get it on the list and answer your question on the future show. If you have any other feedback or guest suggestions or anything like that for the main podcast episodes as well, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app. Do that. You will get this week's episode with the Department of Fish and Game from Arizona and all other future episodes for free. Thanks for tuning in.